0: Hey everybody, this is Tommy Miller. I'm the senior pastor at Legacy Church. We're really excited that you decided to join our podcast this morning. Our intention is to give you the information and the resources that you need to bring heaven to earth by walking in the fullness of your identity and your destiny. Enjoy the sermon, enjoy your day, be blessed and do what Jesus did. She shut me off. I see how it is. All right. Hey, go to the book of uh, Matthew, chapter 28. We are going to kind of take a turn in our research series. We spent the last four weeks talking about what it looks like inside the church about relationships, leadership. We've had probably some of the strongest messages we've ever had preached in the last four weeks, right? Kind of cut to the quick. Now we're going to take a turn where we go towards what establishing culture in your city looks like. As a matter of fact, the, the title of today's message is um, Thy Culture Come. Amen? amen? All right. Say amen if you're at Matthew 28. Amen. All right. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 says, Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all of the things that I have commanded commanded you, and I am always with you, even to the end of the age. Amen. Ready? You want to pray with me? Father, thank you so much for this incredible morning. We ask that this message comes like a sword, that it ignites fire in the hearts of the hearers, that it transforms us into the image of the beloved Son. And that this place be a place where angels freely move to and fro, that the sick are healed, the dead are raised, the anxious and depressed are set free. And Father, we be transformed into the image of your beloved Son. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 28 is called the Great Commission under your heading in your Bible, right? We've reduced it to a good suggestion. Would you agree? Yep, there's a difference between the great commission and a good suggestion. But realistically, when somebody's about to leave, oftentimes the last thing that they say is the most important. And this is what he told humanity to do. There's two problems with this passage. One problem is that we've reduced it to a suggestion from a commission. The second one is we don't understand it. So I would like to break down some of the Greek language used to... uh, give us a better idea of what Jesus actually intended when he went away that he would in, essentially leave us with an enterprise that would represent him on earth, okay? All right, so um, I want to recognize some folks in here. David Tilden, would you stand? <laughs> David, uh, David is a dear friend of mine. He drove in from Indiana to be with us uh, today, and uh, yeah, he's a super accomplished guy. He's working in ministry over in Indiana. And uh, it's an honor to have you. I can't believe people drive from states away to come, be, come hang out with us. And we have returning friends, Greg, Ricky, and Timo. Would you guys stand? Fantastic. Two Kentucky guys and one from Tennessee. And they, they drove six hours to come be with us this weekend again. So thank you, gentlemen. It's an honor to have you. And uh, I think we've got some folks that are planning on taking you all out to lunch after service. So don't, don't go away too fast. Amen? Amen. All right, so one of the things that we are, are regularly regarded for is not just our teaching, but our culture. you realize that if you have good teaching in bad culture, that's actually one of the, the recipes for disaster? That's what spells hypocrisy, right? When you say good things and then you can't back it up in a lifestyle that actually reflects the theology that you carry. Revelation without revolution is hypocrisy. Make sense? So when Jesus was giving the Great Commission, he asked us... Let me, let me break it down here. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Now, if, if you're like me, most people have been taught that making disciples of all nations has something to do with sitting down at a coffee shop and going through a discipleship packet, right? This is a much bigger picture... And we have to understand the purpose of the local church and the the origin of the local church to be able to justify a passage like this. Because the local church wasn't here to make converts. It was here to change the world. So if you reduce discipleship to making converts and you don't change the city that the converts live in, you're not actually accomplishing what Matthew 28 demanded. Right? So the word nations was the Greek word ethnos. And in zero of the definitions of the Greek word ethnos did it have anything to do with people, individuals. It had everything to do with people, groups, or regions. You understand the difference? So the difference is, is you and I sitting down and, and coming to an agreement with the same information. That would be what normal discipleship looks like. But discipling nations or making disciples of all nations is actually changing the the prevailing culture of the region that you live in so that, that the way people function in the most mundane of circumstances looks like the culture of heaven and the nature of Jesus, right? So that's much different. So if we're responsible to make disciples of all nations, we have to recognize the ethnos or the metron that you and I have responsibility over. Okay? Can I give you a background of the local church? Right. So when Jesus came, he was, he was right on the tails of the Roman Empire. And because he was right on the tails of the Roman Empire, he was able to use Roman language to describe what the church would look like. Right. The word apostle is not a Christian term. It's a military term. It's a government term. We've baptized it and made it sound Christianese, but its origin has a much better understanding of what we've made it out to be. The term church is not a church term. It's a government term. So when Jesus was teaching and he was using language like ecclesia, church, and apostolos, apostle, All of his hearers would have understood that he's not here to establish a religious organization. He's here to topple a government and establish a new one. Right? Thanks, Keith. My preaching is much better than your responses this morning. I highly suggest you wake up. So when Jesus looked at his 12 teenage followers, he said, you're my disciples, right? Or excuse me, you're my apostles. And they would have understood that the responsibility of an apostle was somebody that came from the kingdom. They were placed in the colony. And their leadership was was set forth to be able to make the colony look just like the kingdom. Does it make sense? Matthew chapter 6 says, "How how should we pray? And Jesus says, you should pray like this. Our Father that's in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom? Right. On earth as it is in? Right? So this makes sense. If we put all of these pieces together, we realize that the intention of the local church is onefold. It's to create human beings that look like Jesus so they can create a creation, so they can govern a creation that looks like heaven. So when he says... Make disciples of all nations. He's not saying sit down at the coffee shop with a little teaching packet. He's saying you literally have to conjure up a lifestyle. You have to create a community that looks on earth as it is in heaven. So then that community can permeate every aspect. Every element of what it, of what it has, uh, what's the right word, influence on. It's it's metron. I'm trying not to use Greek words because we don't speak Greek. Right? So you come to the church for one reason. It's not to have your needs met. It's not to have your ears tickled. It's to be conformed to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And then the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ is sent out to make disciples of all nations, to change ethnos, to change metrons, to change people groups. Does this make sense? Right? So we have amazing teaching here. Our teaching is listened to on six continents. By thousands of people. But the people that come visit, their response isn't about how good our teaching is. They come here because our teaching's good. They come back because our culture's good. Amen? When Thomas asks Jesus to show him the Father, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen him. That should be the minimum mandate for the local church, right? So I'm, I'm simply going to introduce, uh, honestly, like a really palatable and very, I don't know, tangible way for us to be able to govern culture. First, I want to make a distinction. So Matthew 28, uh, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus says something, again, that we always get mistaken. He says, teach them to obey everything that I've taught you. Okay, so we think that means to teach people to obey, to teach people to behave, right? Jesus didn't teach the law of Moses. Jesus taught the culture of the kingdom. As a matter of fact, 90% of Jesus' teachings began with the words, the kingdom of God is like, right? Right? So he's not telling you to teach people how to behave. He's, he's telling us to carry the message the kingdom of God is like. Like when you are confronted with a cultural issue, when something is literally deteriorating society, your responsibility is to introduce a new cycle from heaven that would counter that cycle. How about this? Unforgiveness and bitterness. If you offend someone and you retaliate, you actually just bear the name that they just offended you with. You become what you were called. Right? You're a jerk. Okay, I'll prove it. <laughs> right? There's, there's a, an ecosystem that revolves around worldly thinking that doesn't allow us to step into heavenly realities. But when you're met with offense and then you do good to both the good and the evil, you send rain on the just and the unjust, there's nothing that your offender can do. It actually it actually awakens the conscience of your offender. Right? We see Stephen do this with Paul. Paul's consenting to his death. Paul is consenting to Stephen's death, and Stephen says, Father, forgive him. He knows not what he does, right? And then Paul gets converted on the road to Damascus. He experienced a culture that was other than the culture that he was familiar with. Right? When somebody's offended, they forgive. It's much different, right? I'm going to get off, off the beaten path here if I don't... If I don't hurry. Okay, so, um, ethnos is a multitude associated or living together. We have to ask ourselves a few questions about this passage and answer them accurately. What was everything that Jesus taught, right? If we're supposed to teach everybody what Jesus taught them, then what did Jesus teach them? He taught them what heaven was like. Who are, or better yet, what are we supposed to be discipling? Are we supposed to be discipling individuals? Are we supposed to be discipling metrons? Metrons, right? You're supposed to change cities. Now, one of my my favorite passages, it's really long, so I'm not going to make you go there, is Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17 is where the disciples were referred to as those who turned the world upside down. Right? That sounds like one of those like just You have nothing better to say, like you know that they made an impact, you know that they made a big difference, but these guys chose their words very succinctly when they were saying these guys turned the world upside down, because the word world was the Greek word, help me, way to go guys, cosmos, and it was just the arrangement on how things work, it was a harmonious agreement, it was a contract, they turned our culture upside down right that's that's what these people were accusing the disciples of how would you be, like to be accused of turning the culture upside down when you're hated you love right when you're accused you forgive when you're offended you get it right but here's what i love right so culture that, like i just want to put this in in the context of government they were accused of turning the world upside down in the way that they rebutted was by saying there's a new king, his name's Jesus. Right? So Christianity wasn't a religion that was trying to replace other religions. Christianity was a government that was trying to topple systems. Get it? It's much better that way. So when Jesus said that he had apostles and he was going to establish churches, he was literally saying, I'm going to put courthouses in the middle of each city. And they're going to be led by apostles, and those apostles are responsible to train leaders, and those leaders are going to bring about the culture of heaven. So that when the king comes and visits, I don't know if you know this to be true, but this is how it worked. If Rome were going to conquer a new colony, the colony would be, there was an ecclesia established in the colony. And the function of the leadership in the colony was to make the colony look like Rome. And they wouldn't call the king to come check it out until they had turned the colony into a Roman citizen, or excuse me, a Roman city. So the king didn't want to see a colony that didn't look like the kingdom. You get it? You get it? So the church, it's very possible for us to be enamored with things that are good, that aren't right. right? We can have all the worship services and Bible studies. and, and I mean, there's ten thousands of, tens of thousands of people sitting in one church right now, and the city doesn't look any different. And I think maybe if they had the right goals or the right intentions, things would change, right? Okay, so I've got five points for you. They're super simple. Um, Five points regarding how you can be intentional about changing culture. First, I want to define culture, and then I want to give you kind of an insight on what this ministry looks like. How many of you have ever seen The Sick Healed before? Most of us. How many of you ever seen the public declaration of the gospel? You're watching it right now, right? Um, Big evangelistic outreaches, tent meetings, revivals, dead raisings. Like, those things are great, right? And we've come up with language here. We call that overt ministry. In order to articulate what we want to see happen, we have another name for ministry that we call covert ministry. Covert ministry is when you're expressing the kingdom of heaven in the most mundane avenues of life possible. Okay, when I say mundane, I just mean they're not flashy, they're not showy. But if you raise the dead and heal the sick but don't love your wife, it's going to be an area of hip- hypocrisy and confusion for people, right? If, if you can preach the gospel and you can speak in tongues but you don't love your fellow human, the Bible says that you're useless, Right? So the emphasis on covert ministry in the Bible is massively widely more important than overt ministry. Right? Overt ministry draws a crowd. Covert ministry changes generations. Does that make sense? <laughs> That's good. All right. So, first point. Number 1 is you have to know the culture of heaven. Right? It's 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 a vain pursuit. If you don't know the culture of heaven, if you think you're going to establish a new culture but you haven't recognized that heaven does things differently than earth does, then you'll constantly be in a state of confusion. Endless cycles of dissatisfaction, right? So heaven is not this static, ethereal existence with these kind of opaque beings resting on clouds. Heaven has a community. It has a family. And in that community, they have relationships. And in their relationships, they have honor. Right? So if you're not familiar with the culture of heaven, how can you ever pursue the culture of heaven? How can you ever permeate earth with the culture of heaven? Right. Paul said, eye has not seen, ear hasn't heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Right? Most of the time we use that as, as an excuse as to why God will remain a mystery. But the next line says, but he has revealed them to us through his spirit. So his intention is that we would know the fullness, right? We would know the, the culture of heaven, the nature of Jesus. Number two, after being confident that you know your culture, you have to choose to model your culture. The question that excuse me, Jesus was asked by Thomas, he said, show us the Father. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That should be sufficient for you. The title of this message is Rechurch. Do you know why the title of this series is Rechurch? The church endeavored to do some great things and they caused a lot of damage. Right? And if we're honest, this is the solution to the damage they caused, right? Good teaching, bad hypocrisy. Right? So people were willing to tell you what Jesus was like, but they refused to show you. Right? And it wasn't like they can't heal the sick, they can't raise the dead. Like, nobody really holds people accountable to the overt things. But if you're a jerk and an adulterer and you don't know how to treat your fellow human right, like, nobody wants what you got. Right? So, rechurch. People have been churched, and then because they got hurt, they got unchurched. And because they're unchurched, we need to rechurch them. <laughs> But we can't be responsible. Excuse me. We can't be adamant about rechurching them if we're not willing to bring them into something that looks like heaven, right? That's good. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> John chapter eight. Jesus says, "I speak what I have seen my father." Excuse me. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, and you'll you'll seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. Did you see that there were two things that they could seek? Both of them them thought they were were right. Humans do what their dads told them. I do what my dad told me. Get it? Different culture. Number three, you have to be willing to communicate your culture. Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do, he does, and and the son does in like manner. So for you to be able to communicate your culture, it'd be you demonstrating your culture and then having the verbiage, the language to be able to explain what you just did. Hmm. I'll give you a a quick example. We we had a a falling out in a relationship. And my response to the falling out was that we should give this person $10,000. I'm giving very few details because I don't... We should give this person $10,000. And the people that were leading with me at the time were confused but when you're able to articulate why the culture of heaven is different than the culture of earth and tell people that no 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 watch when you are reviled and persecuted and, and you respond with heaven their conscience awakens and you have an opportunity to minister if you can get over yourself long enough then you'll be able to bring heaven to earth right Okay, Number four and number five kind of go hand in hand, but this I want to make them clear. Number four is you have to be willing to be corrected and to correct drifts in culture. Does that make sense? How many of you want to be held accountable if you're not acting like Jesus? Come on, right? Do you know how fast a community would grow if we were willing to submit ourselves to scrutiny? Right? Um, sh- I, I've, I've mentioned this so many times, but I've never told the story right. Dan Moeller was here. Usually I'm like, oh, this one time, and then I don't tell the story. And my wife's like, you mentioned it, but you didn't tell the story. (laughs) Okay, Dan Moeller was here, and Shanda had a friend who was confiding in her. And and Dan Moeller mentioned something about not empowering the people that you're friends with to stay victims. And Shanda had a conviction. She realized that she had been a good ear, but she hadn't been a good voice. Right? Am I saying this right? So she called that friend. She got a hold of that friend immediately and repented and said, you've been pouring your heart out to me and I've been essentially allowing your continued victimization. And what I should have told you is the people that are mistreating you and abusing you do not define you. And you are not permitted to stay where they said you should be. And you cannot, I mean, she just gave her heaven, right? So, so if you're in a culture that will correct drifts in culture instead of empowering victimization, you won't stay a victim very long, right? It's, I told you this a few weeks ago. When, when my wife is going through something, and I'm like, honey, are you okay? She goes, don't pity me. She, look at that woman. Like, you'd listen. <laughs> don't pit, Do you know why she doesn't want pity? Because pity empowers victimization. The longer you stay a victim, the longer it takes to overcome So let's create a culture that doesn't allow victims. Okay, number five. Guys, you'll have to forgive me. Miss Shanda, Larissa needs to see you in the lobby just for a quick moment, okay? Number five is you have to celebrate your culture. In Luke chapter 15, it showed that when the father This is going to be so good. When the father received the prodigal son home, he had a party. If you guys don't know, we're having a surprise party for my wife right now. She has no idea. So the message will be continued next week.